have been doing a series called The Exodus, but I, I, I've been struck how it ties in ever increasingly, I mean, God is so amazing this way, with our growing family campaign. And uh, for those of you who are visiting and you may not know anything about that, you can pick up one of these uh, growing family packs. They're actually on the wall there. They're also at the welcome desk. Uh, seven weeks ago, we launched a campaign to purchase one of the other warehouses. In fact, everything seems to be going up for sale at the moment. We, we, we've rather liked the one across the road because of the parking and everything. We kind of heart, set our hearts on that a bit. But the truth is, it's not, it's not necessarily that one. It could be the one next door, which comes up in mid-July. It could be the one in the corner, which is actually the biggest of the lot. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, the, the owner, Nigel, and his family very, uh, are very keen to sell to us and, and are making it quite difficult to say no, but we're, we're not saying yes yet, but, but it could be anywhere. The reason we need this is because, uh, several reasons, this, I mean, this is a holiday weekend, but look, we're already pretty full up there on the balcony too. There is room, but this is a holiday weekend. We actually, uh, the, the ministry is expanding, and as, our, uh, as God, and only God can do this, because we, we don't sort of advertise what we do, we just carry on doing what we do. But as the reputation of what God is doing here, not only are more people coming, but also uh, more invitations are coming to do things elsewhere. I mean, this week we've had an invitation to uh, go and lead a large church symposium in the Midlands, where a bunch of leaders from significant churches uh, just come and pick our brains about things. Uh, I've had pastors coming down from the north of England to pick my brains about mentoring. Sam has been invited to do a tour in the States uh, of big churches. Um, uh, we've also had, you know, just wonderful things like uh, meeting, uh, having conversations with people who are thinking about church planting. It's just rocking on. And uh, in the midst of all that, we get these wonderful, exquisite gems, like the two emails I had about folk who've fallen pregnant, because God is in the house. That's what makes us attractive, not some advertising campaign costing zillions of dollars. You know, it's, we are just worshiping Jesus, and he is, he is irresistibly, irresistibly attractive. And so somehow the word is getting out there, and we're excited by all of that. Um, uh, just, just as far as the Growing Family campaign is concerned, I have to confess, and I think I can be real with you because I'm, I'm, I take it I'm with family here. I think I was a little disappointed when I came back from my, my vacation. Things had gone rather quiet, and I think in that whole period that I was away, we only raised 10,000 pounds. Well, that's wonderful if you were one of those who gave 10,000 pounds during that period of time. But in three weeks, you know, this early into a campaign, that was a little bit of a concern. Well, the good news is that this week it all kicked off again, and I think we had, I, I don't know the exact figure, but 30,000 pounds came in through the office, and, uh, and lovely stories, a, a, a couple who were expecting their first baby, they'd been saving for one of these, um, you know, kiddie buggies. You know, when Fliss and I had families, we, we, we or family, we, uh, I, I don't have another family elsewhere, by the way, it's, that's not what this story is about, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, we went out and we bought a McLaren. Anybody remember the McLaren? Yeah, $29.95 from Mothercare, brilliant. You know, I offered, when my, uh, my eldest daughter became pregnant, I said, we'll, we'll buy you the pushchair, thinking $29.95. 600 pounds later, you know, I'm thinking, ooh, that hurts. Well, a lovely couple, lovely fa uh, family, first expecting their first baby. They've been saving up for one of these super-duper things. And do you know what? They've, they have given that money to the Growing Family campaign. I saw the letter this week. 
and uh, because somebody gave them a second-hand one. I love that, that kind of sacrifice. You know, you guys rock. But I know, because I was talking to the, the, I had a board meeting on Monday, many of you are still sort of wondering whether to commit or not. You, know, you tend to, you just haven't done it yet. We really do need to get it together. My concern is that, that we'll get there in the end. I'm absolutely confident in terms of raising 1.6 million, but, but it may be too late to buy the place across the road or whatever. Uh, we, we just need to do it now. If you're waiting for a good moment, this is the good moment, okay? Right, back into the Exodus. The thing about the Exodus story that has really struck me since I've been back is that, as you all know, and I'll assume that you all know this, when God called Moses in the desert to go to Pharaoh, to say to Pharaoh, let my people go, it wasn't just that he was, it was an anti-slavery kind of gig. When Moses went to say, let my people go, there was a purpose, that they may worship me, because they were God's people. And as they were saved, so we are saved. And I have to say this to you again and again and to myself. We are saved for a purpose. Not enthusiastically like you know what I mean. Two people nodded. <laughs> you don't know what I mean? We're not just saved so we get to go to heaven and we have somebody to give us warm fuzzy wuzzies when we're feeling a bit low. That's great. We are saved for a purpose. God is about you know, establishing his kingdom here. And the church... Is, is meant to be, as it says, and Jesus says, it's meant to be like a city set on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill, is, it can be seen from afar. The church needs to be seen from afar and needs, needs to be modeling, as it were, a foretaste of heaven. And so we're saved for a purpose. And so what happened was, as we all know, Moses did, with God's extraordinary, miraculous help, eventually lead the people out of Israel. And they were going somewhere. They went to worship, but God, that God was taking them to a place, another place, a future place, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And actually, not far into the journey, they stood on the brink of going into the promised land. Uh, and so Moses came up with this idea. And this was uh, this, this plan from God, God gave him this vision to send spies into the land. Now, we talked about that last week. I think it's important that I quickly recap that. And uh, so I'm going to do that now. And uh, simply to say, first of all, that in taking Canaan, there were, there were 12 spies. You'll remember the story. And 10 came back with the report, which was really rather negative. I, I think I summarized it last week by saying they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And the reason for that was that when they went into the land, not only was it populated, but it was, it was heavily populated, not just with one nation, but with a number of nations. And some of those nations were great big hairy dudes, and it scared the bejeebas out of them. Is bejeebas a rude word? It isn't. It is? Something it is, and something it isn't. Doesn't matter, we'll say it wasn't then. Okay, fine. Um, sorry if it was. They, they were... It scared them witless, and, and, and so last week, as you, as you re will recall if you were here, you know, these spies, they, they displayed cowardice based on fear. They were cowards because they were afraid, and they saw God in the light of their circumstances. What I mean by that is they had a relationship with God, just as we do, but actually the way they saw God was entirely influenced on a day-to-day -day basis by how well life was going. And that's such a common thing. I've been there, done that. Anybody else? Yes. 
You know, life circumstances affects the way, if I'm not careful, that I see God. Oh, he loves me. Oh, he's wonderful. Oh, he hates me, you know, and all the, and so on and so forth. Well, they were looking at the circumstances that were prevalent in the land of Canaan, the, the very place that God was going to take them. And, and they, they were filled with fear because that's how they saw God. Now, the, there were two that were exceptions, Joshua and Caleb. Two of the spies came back with a very positive report. And you really do need to listen to last week's message on the podcast or watch it on the videocast if you want to, to sort of, if you missed it. Because I, I, I think a lot of people said to me it was helpful. So, but the, tw- the two basically, they saw themselves not as grasshoppers, but in all circumstances, and this is where I want to be, they saw themselves as sons of the Lord Most High. That was where they lived. They saw themselves as sons, not grasshoppers. They saw circumstances in the light of their God. It didn't matter what was happening to them or what faced them or what challenge was set before them. It was all viewed through the light of our God reigns. That's why I'm I'm so happy that in in the worship and in our conversations at the moment we're saying our God reigns. We, We need to do life through the lens of I am a son or a daughter of the Most High, and my father reigns. He's the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Have I got that right? Is that right? What do you think? How many of you think that's right? Oh, good. How many of you think that's not right? Good. I was going to have to kick you out of the church. Good. Right. We're on the same page then. And we finished up last week by saying, you know, courage based on faith is a game changer. You know, it's popular in business and elsewhere these days. One of those sort of in words talk about game changes, things that happen that are game changes. Well, in life, and in particular in the religious life, faith, courage based on faith is a game changer. Now, that was a a rushed summary of last week, but you get the scene. Now, the, the downside of last week was that that actually there's this conversation going on between Moses and Aaron and the 12 spies have come back and then there's a bit of a riot breaks out and people start behaving badly and in it all suddenly God descends and he always has the last word. God has the last word. Just say that with me. God has the last word. And so there's all this hullabaloo going on and toing and froing and riot breaking out and then suddenly God, his glory fell. And the judgment was this, he was, he was ticked off, to say the least. And he was extremely angry with the 10, and he said, the 10, you are going to die, and you're what's more, you're going to die now. So they ended up with a plague. And he said, the rest of you that sort of sided with him, you're going to traipse around the desert now. You've missed your moment, that's it, time out. We're going to traipse around the desert until you've all died. This generation will die, but the next generation will be the one that go into, into Canaan. And uh, Joshua and Caleb, you did okay, so yeah, you get to go as well. That was it. No negotiation, no, excuse me, sorry, can we talk about this? I, I didn't mean, no, 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 that was it. That was the end of the story. And that's exactly what happened. We pick up the story now, taking Canaan part two, as, as the last of that generation that had disappointed God through a lack of courage about the things that God is doing We take up the story as the last of that generation has died. And so finally, God begins to talk to them again about taking Canaan, part two. And we pick up the story there. And what I'm going to do this week is something in some ways similar to what I did last week, which was um, 
a, a kind of a reading, really. It's more of a reading with some pauses along the way to make one or two points. Uh, it'll come up on the screen. Uh, if you've got Blackberries and iPhones and the rest of it, please feel free to follow. Or you may even have an old-fashioned Bible with you. How many of you have got an old-fashioned Bible with you? I love it. You are the best. You rock. Blow these iPhones into Blackberries. Put it away, God. <laughs> the woman I'm married to, honestly. Right, okay. So let's look at this then. Let's get into God's word. Let me pray again. Father, I really need you to help me. And we need you to soften our hearts so that we might be comforted in areas where we're aching and resistance, resistant to, to your love but also that we might, might get your heart in this and, and act accordingly. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Okay, so Numbers 32, and um, we'll begin then. Verse 1, the Reubenites and Gadites, they were one of the 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land of Jazer and Gilead was suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, and we'll skip to verse 4, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as, out, as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Oh my gosh. Do not make... they. Did they, did they realize what they were saying? Do not make us cross the Jordan. All these 40 years, this generation that's died in the desert, all the, the Egyptians that died, all the adventures, the miracles, was so that they were saved for a purpose. God could deliver them and save them and take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Wonderful picture language. The promised land. The promised land it was called a land flowing with milk and honey. And now they say, having been through all of that, they say, as they realize that now it's going to happen, it's, a, it's actually going to happen, they say, uh, is it all right if we don't come? What? Is it all right if we don't come? You know, it's kind of, kind of nice, we like it here. This is nice, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is fine, this is enough. Please don't make us cross the Jordan. The wimps! Is that a rude word? No, that's fine. All right, then. Do not make us cross the Jordan. That, I, I, I mean, gosh, I would be embarrassed. I would be embarrassed. And besides, anyway, when you think about it, this land, this promised land, this land of Canaan where God is taking them on the other side of the Jordan, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Where do you get milk from, folks? Cows. You do. So presumably, this land is going to be great for cattle. It's a, the way it could have been described as, you know, a land with streets paved like gold. It could have been uh, full of sunshine, fruit, and whatever. God chose to describe this as a land flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, by, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but it seems to me that it's going to be good for, for agricultural pursuits. It's going to go well there. And the Gadites and the Reubenites, one of the 12 tribes, say, ah, don't make us cross the Jordan, we like it here. Oh, my gosh. 
Sometimes I've had conversations a little bit like that in relation to the vision for the church and the crossing, you know, the growing family campaign. This is great. What do we want to mess around for? You know, why go through all the grief? Anyway, Moses picks up the theme then, and uh, uh, let me just see, where am I? Yeah, so verse 6, we'll read on, Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you are here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land that the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. That's when they sent the spies out. After they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of them, aged 20 years and more, will go into the promised land. So at this point, Moses, bless his heart, who's getting well on in years, well on in years, and possibly he's getting a little bit cranky, it has to be said, But nonetheless, he speaks the heart of the Lord. You know, the result of the spies' report when the ten said, we can't do this, was wrath and indignation and a disaster for that generation because they held back when they should have shown courage based on the call of God. There was a disaster for that generation. And now Moses says, listen, this is a brand new generation. The promise is for you. You are going to take hold of it, but you're just like your father's. Do you not see the impact this might have upon your brothers, the other tribes? He really gives them a bit of a lambasting. Now, fortunately, in the midst of all this, a compromise is worked out. This one doesn't end in tears. And do you know what? I read, it, read through the whole story this morning, and you might like to read it rather than me breaking it up as I've done. And I have to say, all credit to the Reubenites and, and, and Gadites, Bless their hearts. The moment Moses got in their face, they said, you're right. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Interestingly enough, as you'll see in just a moment, they held to the thought that actually it was better on this side than that side. But nonetheless, instead of arguing and kicking up a fuss and trying to stone Moses, which is what happened with the last lot, they actually said, what? Sorry, 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 sorry. We'll go. We'll do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you're totally right. So all credit to them, you know. Let's just read about, sorry, this is my beard, you see. I don't want to have a beard, really. Fliss just really wants me to grow this beard, you know. (laughs) Right, yeah. I don't think I'm going to get away with that one. (laughs) Okay. Right, let's look at the compromise. Verses 16. Uh, Let me just check I've got my readings right here. Uh, yeah, verse, well, let's have a look at, uh, now I'm in a pickle. Uh, verse 16. Then they came up to him and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. And we will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received his inheritance. Do you know, bless their hearts, there's some integrity here, don't you think? There really is, you know, it goes on. 
we will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because of our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued, in other words, when the land is subdued and all your brothers and sisters have got their inheritance on the far side, you will be free. You may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. So a deal is broken, a compromise is reached. No one's going to get burnt to a crisp, die of a plague, disappear into a hole in the ground. Nobody's going to end up having to walk around the desert forever and ever and ever. They're going. It's happening, whether they like it or not. And the real integrity of these ones who, who just liked it the way it was and where they were and they didn't feel a need to go and do this other thing, the integrity was that they realized that they were one. And this is a huge, huge theme in the New Testament. It's a huge theme of Jesus is that we are one. You may not feel one, but one of the reasons, and I know it has, it, it blesses many and, and causes consternation to some, is one of the reasons why we use a little tagline sometimes in our personal conversations, which is welcome home. One of the reasons we do that is this very real sense that God is building not just um, an army, not just a community, but a family. Jesus himself said, you know, the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. And some of us are doing well at the moment. Others are not doing so well. Some are facing you know, challenges. Some have come through challenges. We're all at different stages on life's journey. But the truth of the matter is he sees us as one. And if one goes, we all go. And if he says come, that means an invitation to all of us, not just the sort of brave ones or the pioneer ones or the crazy ones. It's, it's we all go. You know, and this growing family campaign is not something that we presented to you just because we couldn't think of something to do on a wet Tuesday afternoon. It, it, it's, about, it's about us recognizing that we were saved for a purpose and God ain't finished with Vineyard St. Albans yet. So we all go. And you can go kicking and screaming, grumbling and moaning, or you can go with a smile on your face and say, hey, whatever. Here's my checkbook, Chris. That's a nice one. I like that one. <laughs> you know, we go together. And where we're going is, is, is the place, the future that God has for us. Any, anywhere, any time along the way, we can bail on that. And that's a, a sad thing. And actually, in this compromise, there's a little phrase here which troubled me. When I read it through and I was praying it through, uh, I... I felt that there was almost an edge on this. I don't, think, I don't think it was intended, and I don't think it's meant to say that in the text, but actually as I prayed about it and asked the Spirit of God to elucidate me, there was something there that did trouble me a little bit. And it was this phrase, did you catch it? You will be free of your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. Oh. So basically the deal is, they'll get kitted up, they'll get armored up, They'll get all the rest of it, and they will go ahead with their brothers. They'll capture the land of Cain, and when it's all done and dusted, they'll come back to these, these lands east of the Jordan, not in the promised land, which they like better. And so this, this, it works out well. But, but there, is there, is it my imagination, or is there a little bit of a judgment 
built into the conclusion, the statement, you will be free of your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. That sounds like severance to me. I do not want to be free of the Lord. I don't want to know what he wants me to do and charge off and do things in his name as part of this community and be free of God. Ah, there you are, I've done it. I've done what you said. Be done with it. Okay, thank you, great job. Off you go, whatever. Hey, have a nice life. God forbid that I should be free of my obligation to the Lord or to, or, or to his people because there is no life outside of God and his people. There is no life. This thing called church, this thing we do together here, is his one and only plan. So you cannot say, well, good riddance to that. I'll sort of you know, pay my dues and doff my hat to the, 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 one, the man upstairs you know, as and when it suits me. There is no life in that place. That is a place east of the Jordan, a place where, where historically the people of God died and were judged. I don't want to be in that place. The safe place is in the thick of it. The safe place is in the very center of God's will. That's where the safe place is. It's not east of the Jordan where everything looks rosy and I don't really want to be challenged and all the rest of it. The safe place is moving on into God's plans and purposes for the future, whatever that is for us and for you. So I I read that and I, I still struggle with it a little bit. Moving on, a few other little comments before we, we wind up. The more I look at this passage, the more I realize that the vision was there. Richard did a great job preaching about Mount Sinai, the presence of God, the gift of God's commandments. And he begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who led you out of, his, uh, out of Egypt. There was salvation, let my people go. There was you know, worshiping at Sinai. There was we're on the way to a promised land, a bright future, something that God has in mind for us. There's the vision. But all along that journey, which was a physical one, just as raising 1.6 million is a physical thing, just as negotiating with the planners and they're kicking up a bit of a problem, we may, we may, God forbid, so please pray about this, we may stumble not about the money but about the planning. Quite apart from do we get that one or that one or that one or some other one that hasn't come on the market yet. You know, there's, there's a physical journey to be taken. But throughout this story, what has really struck me is that the outward journey begins with an inward journey. Where is, you know, in, in, this, in this, where was it? I, I saw it. Verse 11, uh, we haven't got it on the screen, but chapter 32, the passage we're looking for, verse 11, it says here, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. This is God's grief with them. Not about, do you want this bit of grass or that bit of grass? That, 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 that's not the issue. It's about, uh, where, is, where is your heart in all of this? And the issue for God was, was not about that land or this land or the promised land or Egypt because God, the, all things belong to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of It was where was God's people? That was his precious possession. That was the thing he coveted. Where was the people of God? And they showed at Carnea that, that actually their heart was not for God. They were okay as long as he was paying for everything. But the moment there was a challenge, then there was a problem. And similarly here, you know, the challenge was, you have not followed me wholeheartedly. And in fact, the truth of the matter is when they got into Israel, and we read this throughout the prophets, that that was, that was the cry of God's heart, was that you, your heart is after other gods. So for the children of Israel, this was, 
This was another great testing time, a waypoint. But in terms of our walk today in the 21st century here in Hertfordshire and, and God's plans for St. Albans and, and, the, and the other churches here, you know, the, the, the issue is, is may, maybe it is, maybe it isn't as, as, as you know, strong as life and death in the desert, but, but it's, it's certainly this is where is your heart in all of this? Has your heart crossed the road yet? Are you hanging back? It's not that you lack courage. It's not actually that you're rebellious. You don't want to throw stones at anyone. But the, every outward journey begins with an inward journey. Where, how, how deep has the journey gone with you? Are you working on that part? Is that, is that happening? I think Wimber had this. Did he write a book? I can't remember. John Wimber, the founder of our movement, he... I think he wrote a book called The Way, the way Forward is the Way Inward. Is, or, or. The Way In is the Way On. Thank you. Yeah. Same sort of thing, isn't it? The same, same concept. Uh, and I've found, I'm curious how God brings a number of things along. Uh, and I was reading a bit of John Maxwell, a, a lovely Christian guy who is a, a sort of business guru. And he was saying, before any great breakthrough in business, the, the, you know, the the management needs to get their, their, their heart and mind and, and head into it. It's not just about raising capital and you know, putting in a new sort of manufacturing line. It's what, like, where, where are the people? I mean, Nick, you do lots of banking consultancy, and very often I'm sure you're dealing with these kind of issues. Where are the staff? What's morale like? Where are they? Do they, want to see, do they believe this thing can succeed, or are they dragging their heels, and is there infighting? These kind of things kill organizations, not just the church, and so for us in this growing family campaign, that, what, what, this I think is my personal challenge having come back from three weeks away. And it's always good to go away, isn't it? And then come back and see things with fresh insight. I, I suppose I'm asking myself, you know, uh, 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 you know, where is my heart in this? Is my heart in this? Is our heart in this? Or are we hanging back and waiting and seeing? Not out of any great naughtiness, but just hedging our bets. Well, folks, you know, I want to say this is a time for pulling together. This is a time for you to resolve those issues and to throw your lot in with God. And if you're wanting to, I don't know what it is you, 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 you can do. Maybe you've already given. But if you haven't given, if, if you're asking the question, well, how much do we need and when should I give it? You need to do it now, yesterday. Because until we get the money, we really don't have any, any leg to stand on if somebody tries to buy that place across the road. You know, we, we, we really do need to move now. And so help me God, I believe God is, is saying that we, we are to grow. And if we don't grow, we will die. And it, it's, it's quite simple, really. At least I see it so. And I just want to say, just to wind up, uh, as, as the band came up, if, if this was a message that, as I prepared to, to, to teach today, as I found it thought-provoking, I was so encouraged when I received an email from uh, Joanna Field. Now, Joanna Field is the secretary of Churches Together in St. Albans. Let me just read this little email, which she copied us in. It was an, e it was an email to the district council concerning the district food bank. Let me just read this through. I hope this will encourage you. 
On Wednesday last week, dear Nikki, that's the, one of the officers of the council, dear Nikki, on Wednesday last week, Churches Together in St Albans held a meeting of the enabling group. I reported on the progress of the St Albans District Food Bank and the pilot scheme that has been launched in the Batford area, along with the proposed food collection day being held across the country by the Trussell Trust. After considerable discussion of the food bank situation in the local area, the meeting decided that we, we would fully support the feed project in the work of, uh, within St Albans at the moment. This would mean that we would, for the moment, no longer wish to be considered supporters or partners of the district food bank project and would request to be removed from the list of, on your correspondence for now. We will willingly forward information to our members on your behalf and would like still to be kept in touch with the progress once the pilot scheme has been followed up with a wider scheme which would include the city of St Albans. We would like to reconsider our position support. Now listen to this. I feel sure that individual churches in St Albans that have supported the district food bank up until now will continue to do so. And we are pleased that this will happen. But as Vineyard Church, an associate member of CTSA, is working with overwhelming numbers of recipients at the moment, we feel that this is where our major effort should be. The wider church has come to stand with us. They're not, it's not good enough that one tribe, little vineyard tribe, should be bearing the brunt of it. So churches together, that's Catholics, that's Pentecostals, that's Anglicans, are working together to support us here. Why? Because God's heart is in this. And as we move forward together, we need to stand together. I was so encouraged by that. We wish the district council food bank well. I mean, Carol and I and others have sat on that committee for 18 months. Hard work. In the end, we had to withdraw. But we stand together. We go together. The outward journey is an inward journey. Where's your heart in all of this? Have you signed up yet? Have you counted yourself in? Because that's the challenge. God, quite frankly, is not interested too much about this warehouse or that warehouse. But he does want to know about the state of our heart. Are you wholeheartedly committed to what he's doing? Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you, Lord God, that you can take a, a church like ours, as with every church, but, but just when we thought we'd arrived, Lord God, celebrating 25 years last year, Lord, you come to us and you, you unsettle us and you challenge us and there's, there's comfort to be found there, but there's also, yes, a certain sense of being unsettled. Lord, we thank you for that because we know that in all these things, it challenges us to grow deeper into you. So we pray, Lord God, that you would look upon us and, and you would see upon us uh, a, a heart in this people that is uh, holy and solely committed to you. A, a, a people, Lord God, that uh, is working together in whatever way we can to see your promised land come to this city and this nation. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, man.